Hi, and welcome to the Imperfect Podcast. My name is Deb Crow, and I will be your host. Join me on this journey as we meet heart-centered leaders from all over the globe. Lots of interesting questions, interesting conversation, and find out what makes a leader. How do they handle uncertainty and complexity? How do they lead in a time that is volatile? Join us. Welcome back to Imperfect, the Heart-Centered Leadership Podcast. Just continuing week by week, new season 2021. And it does not cease to surprise me the amazing heart-centered leaders that are right in my own back door here in Ontario, Canada. So I want to introduce you to a new colleague that I've met. And I got to give shout out to my favorite little green chef, to Yoda. She has been posting recipes about this. And finally, curiosity got me and I had to buy it. So we're going to be talking about Sobri today, and it is the Zero Gin. Let me tell you a little bit about the founder. His name is Bob Heidema, and Bob was looking for a way to enjoy a great tasting cocktail without the consequences that we all have when we consume alcohol and that dreaded hangover the next day. So Bob wasn't able to find what he wanted, so he decided he was going to create it. So he grew up in Stratford on a farm. And then he spent many years in Toronto working within the food and beverage industry. And what he did was he drew on his own experience and began the journey to create Sobri Zero Gin. It is Canada's first distilled non-alcoholic gin. So I am so excited to have Bob on the show. Welcome. Hi, Deb. Thank you very much. Well, I'm so excited to talk to you about this non-alcoholic spirit. I, You know, there's always a story. And I have to tell you, transparent moment, my first exposure in high school was to gin and tonic. And we all have that first story. And I have not revisited gin in many decades because of that first experience for me. And when I saw Yoda posting beautiful photos and mocktail recipes, I had to try it. And Bob, I'm hooked. I love it. I'm telling all my friends. I'm giving it as gifts. And I had to have you on the show. So thanks for taking the time today to speak with me. Super. No, I, I love hearing that type of feedback. It's, it's, it's great. It's... Now, my first leadership question, the name is everything. So tell us what the name means and a little bit of a backstory. I gave a little glimpse, but we want to hear from you as the founder too. What was the trajectory to create the product and where did the name come from and what does it mean? Yeah, that's a, I think that's the, the most relevant question generally of people ask in terms of, you know, what, where did what is the meaning behind the brand? What drove me to do it? And I think alcohol, and as you said, your experience with it and the different categories of alcohol, whether it be gin, whether it be tequila, whether it be rum, everybody has a memory. And it's generally a vivid memory, a vivid connection to it. Um, I had vivid connections throughout the entire categories of alcohol. Uh, I worked in the industry. And when I, a couple of years ago, probably around 2017, um, I got very involved in, 
do it do it yourself projects uh very uh for me self-reliance and how i grew up is an extremely important thing and i got to a point in my life where i found myself doing these projects and one of the things that hindered it was any alcohol consumption the night before so i don't think there's a big mystery for people that as you age uh drinking alcohol doesn't become any easier or certainly maybe it becomes easier but certainly the after effects don't come any easier so i looked at it as a standpoint of going how can i first off improve my own sort of physical being my my well my well-being uh what's an easy way to improve health and anybody you know basically there's a lot of sort of opinions out in terms of you know steps that you can take but almost everybody agrees that reducing the amount of alcohol is a helpful thing for you so that's one of the things i started to look at and more from a productivity standpoint than really from you know an addiction or sort of a, a, a more serious issue and when I started looking around, as you said earlier, at the, at the various alternatives, I wasn't, it just didn't do it for me. I love cocktails. I hated hangovers. So I used my background in from food and from beverage alcohol and started to understand what, you know, what composed these, these types of non-alcoholic spirits. How do you make them? How do you go approach them? Who was in the marketplace? And from basically from the experience I had, I said, you know what, I could probably do this better. And I could do it in Canada. I can do it in Stratford, Ontario. So that's what I set out to do uh, along the journey. So one of my philosophies in terms of I, I come from a, a many years of doing marketing, corporate marketing, working for for businesses like Heinz, like Diageo, uh, consulting for com companies like Tim Hortons. And one of the things that I always kind of came around was that there's different ways to approach how you create a product. And some people come up with a name, a concept and say, now I'm going to build a product. For me, it was build the product first. And then as I'm building the product, the name, the brand, the personality of the brand, everything that I was, I was comfortable with that would basically, uh, it would be invented or co-invented as I'm building, as I'm creating the liquid. And that's what actually happened. So as I was going down this journey of, of looking at the different options and with non-alcoholic spirits, there's a, there's very many different ways to, to go about producing it. Some, some use extracts, for example, as a, as a, as a liquid, as a, as, as a final product. Um, I went back and said, I love, again, the, the natural categories that came out of beverage alcohol. Again, it's gin, rums, whiskeys, and so forth. And I set out to do a gin exactly the same way as they classically did. So I used traditional botanicals. I used traditional distilling methods. And then the big job was to actually remove the alcohol after it was made gin. Um, so that, that basically was the process. And as I was going through that, uh, the brand started sort of coming around in terms of, you know, what are some of the things that, that meant a lot to me? What are some of the things that impacted me? And the sober element of, and the sober curious element was starting to pick up steam. This is two, 2017, 2018. And I became very uh, sort of attracted to the crowd in terms of that, that, the types of people that got into it, because again, most were sort of looking at alternatives for health. Most of them were looking for better ways of doing things for their own lives. And, and the sober curious thing became not something that was sober, boring, curious, but became sober, curious, fun. And that really attracted me. And as I started to look for brands and look for an element that I could own, that I could say that this is mine, that I could uh, get out in the marketplace and say, this is different than everybody else. 
uh, sobri came up because it is basically Latin for sober. And that is how that that's how the brand basically sort of formatted itself is that the excursion with the sober curious and then the sobriety and then trying to make sober fun. Sobri became the brand. I'm going to tell you what I loved about your answer. I loved that it's such a demonstration of your leadership, but you're a vivid visionary. So you were like, I'm going to look out and I'm going to, I'm going to think in my mind of what I want it to look like based on my own experience. But then you came back into the present moment. You rolled up your sleeves, you added in the discipline, you put in the structure, and then you allowed the process to unfold beautifully and I love the name. And, you know, when I got my first shipment and I had the postcards with the information and the recipes, I could see the labor of love that went into this. And the bottle is pretty and the smell, the botanicals is so, so good. I'm adding in another question here because I'm, I'm holding this bottle as I chat to you. I know you used a typical regime, if you will, of ingredients, like you would if you were going to distill a regular gin, but share with the listeners the ingredients, because the fragrance of this is so beautiful. I'm happy to just have it on ice with nothing else, but you've got so many recipes and it's, you know, without sounding cliche and and laughing, like so many recipes, so little time, but it doesn't matter because there's no alcohol in it. So just share with us how you came up with that ingredient list because it is so beautifully fragranced, Bob. I love it. So that's, again, thank you very much for that question. I think the one of the, the, the going back to how I created this was to be a traditional gin, be like a traditional gin. Now, with the issue with non-alcoholics is generally once you take the alcohol out, uh, generally the products lose a lot of flavor. So there's, there's tons of different comparisons, tons of different categories that this impacts. Even beer, for example, is a category that that is that that's a big problem. Uh, when you're why distillers actually, you know, the, the process of making gin is that you basically soak uh, botanicals in a uh, in an alcohol mixture. And essentially the alcohol is what extracts the flavors. Alcohol and flavor love each other. Water and flavor don't love each other that much. So there's a the big task is essentially getting a process that that replicates extracting the flavor but then when you're removing the alcohol you got to make sure that the flavor stays behind or at least most of it stays behind and that and that's that's fundamental uh, in terms of making a strong making a a, a viable non-alcoholic product the goal was for me to set out was to be not exactly to be like gin neat for example so somebody and i i question people who actually drink gin neat because i don't think that's probably something they should be doing but if you did do that and you drank my product you would say that they're they're not the same and that's true but the the goal and the objective was is actually in a cocktail so where most people drink gin is in a cocktail the gin and tonic would be two-thirds probably of the consumption it should and it will replicate that experience and why it replicates that experience is back to the botanicals that we chose, that I chose to, to put in here. So almost London, I, I based this off a of London dry style gin. So uh, if you picture a Tanqueray, for example, a Tanqueray 10 was one of my favorite gins when I used to drink alcohol. And basically what happens with that is that you get a juniper 
most of the lemon dry gins have a juniper forward. Um, you get that piney smell. You get a very distinct, what most people would say, gin smell. And then essentially that was in terms of, um, in terms of a process, in terms of extracting the flavor and keeping the flavor in the hardest component. Juniper is a very, very tough um, flavor to stick with the water. So that, that became, that was, that was one the major part of the R and D, but then to round it off to basically to get that sophistication so that if you want to move beyond a gin and tonic, and if you want to really, and if you want to sip it straight and you want to get some, you know, replicate different types of gin drinks, um, you know, we have a, on our, on our website, we have a ton of different sort of recipes, um, that you can go from the, your classic gin and tonics to more sophisticated drinks, then you need the sophisticated layers that come behind the juniper. So again, with most traditional gins, you get the, uh, you get the cardamom, you get allspice, you get uh, those types of, those types of botanicals that, which are in here, that basically make you, make your tongue wonder what's in it, make it, makes it go alive. Uh, to top it off, what we did was we used ginseng. Now, ginseng is, is actually, Ontario is one of the biggest producers in ginseng in the world. That's one of the reasons why I picked it. The other reasons I picked it is it's a neat botanical to essentially um, give you a bit of a kick in terms of what we call mouthfeel texture of the product. So round that all off with some, with some coriander as well. And you've got uh, a gin that essentially, uh, you've got a product that from a taste profile standpoint will go into your mouth and then do different things depending on what you've mixed it with. So for example, a gin and tonic, it performs again, like very much like a gin and tonic, but it does, it adds some very neat things to, uh, for example, a low alcohol Negroni or a no alcohol Negroni. Uh, and and you, you can use your imagination. The best thing for consumers is they can use it like a gin and tonic or they can get a lot more uh, complicated with their cocktails, whatever their preference is. Well, like you said, you can, you can get super creative and the recipes that you've created. And I know Yoda has created some, um, just keep them coming. Cause it's, it's so, it's so great to have that option at a party, not only to act responsible, but not everybody is drinking these days. And I think it's a valid point to chat about. I want to jump into my next question that I ask all my guests. What imperfections do you feel you bring to your heart-centered leadership? Yeah, that's always a, I, I spent many years in the corporate world. So that's, it's, it's harking me back to the, um, I, I'm, I'm, I don't take this the wrong way, but dredges of the corporate world where you would sit in front of the HR people and they would, they would do something like that to you. And I always thought it was kind of funny because if you ever gave them weakness, they would use it against you. But uh, maybe I didn't work for the right people. But I like, you know, basically I am, I am not a perfect leader and, and people work with me will tell you that all the time. And I, and I, and I, I love this and I have such a passion for this business that I found that, um, you know, for the first time, maybe in my entire career that I could actually be myself almost all the time. And that, and that's what drives, I mean, that's, you know, there's probably a whole subset in terms of entrepreneurship and what kind of drives people to this type of thing. But my biggest imperfection, what I struggle with kind of on a daily basis and what I remind people of and what I need people around me to know is that I'm not a great people person. And I'm an entrepreneur who is an, an actually, I am a born introvert. Um, I like my introverted behaviors. I like my introverted uh, 
types of situations, but I'm a learned extrovert. So I've had to learn behaviors and, and, and tactics essentially to be able to effectively sell, to market, to public speak, to do all these types of things. Um, but down in my heart, I am an introvert and I like my, I like my alone time and I like my quiet thought time. And in a business like this, you don't get a lot of it. It is, it's the exact opposite. There's, it's, you've got a million things coming at you all the time. You've got a million, um, you know, questions from consumers, which are important questions from buyers, pitching buyers, doing all these types of things, uh, working with people that, you know, because I'm not in a big company, I don't have the types of resources and, and, you know, the natural authority that you get when you, when you have the, the, the hierarchy from a, from a corporation. So I rely a lot on getting people to help me, um, that, you know, for some reason, you know, for, for different reasons than, than just simply monetary reward. So not being a great people person, that to me is something that I constantly kind of uh, make sure that I'm aware of my sort of approach to people and my impact on people and how that, uh, and, and how that affects them. So I guess by saying this, it's, it is really, it's one of those things where most people look at entrepreneurs and say, oh, you're great with doing all these types of things. You're great with people. And many people might think that or might look at that and say, yeah, you are. But I know in my heart that that is something that I constantly keep on the radar in terms of knowing that that's not my strongest suit. And it's not something that I improve overnight or that I'm going to take a course on that I'm going to try to do anything. I've got to live within my capabilities. And that's probably the biggest insight I've had uh, from a leadership standpoint uh, since I went down the entrepreneurial road. Well, it's interesting. Uh, I'm also a fellow introvert and I've interviewed a lot of innovative, successful, progressive leaders on the podcast since its inception last May. Most people that are vivid visionaries that are creative and independent, effortless type thinkers, they have to be, like you said, that learn extrovert, but we need that recharge time because we're thought leaders but it aligns us to be heart-centered leaders because we do but what we have to do when we have to do it, but we do need that recharge time. So very, very interesting. But I will throw in when I got my order from you, what I was most impressed about, because I do this myself, is the handwritten card and the note that you sent me. And I thought, there is a heart-centered leader because that is something that's kind of gone the wayside as we've become a digital society. So just having a handwritten card, I thought, what a lovely gesture. He's got to be a great guy. I got to get him on my show. And here we are two weeks later. That's my learned human behavior. There you go. Now, dry January has, has come upon us and people do it for different reasons. But before we started the show, you had taught me something new today and that there's another initiative called dry February. So share with us as my last leadership question, where did you learn about dry February? How is Sobri involved? And just share with us how we can get involved. Yeah, well, Dry February is something that is run by the uh, Canadian Cancer Society. And actually, I'm going to take a bit of a side thing, Deb. I am not involved in this right now in terms of uh, for, for the brand. So, I, you know, however you want to kind of deal with that. But um, Dry, Dry February is, a, is an initiative by Canadians Cancer Society. I was basically informed of this 
uh, about two weeks ago. And uh, we're still looking at ways to interact and intersect with them. Well, and, and your company and your product would, would be the best because like we've been talking about since the start of the, the podcast interview, there's so many different recipes and things that you can do for this. And really, is there any age that cannot drink this? It's, it's for everybody because there's no alcohol in it. And I just want to allude to the listeners so they know is there's no sugar in this, there's no sweeteners, there's no calories, and there's no artificial flavors. So the openness for all people, all different people that may be on different diets, etc., can have this. Like it's an openness for so many populations, Bob. Yeah, I mean, that's uh, that was part and parcel of the of the second piece of the branding, which was the zero part of the for the gin. Um, now it does actually have a, a little bit of alcohol. So it's not alcoholic, but that's less than 0.5% alcohol, which is considered uh, basically in all the Americas and, and Europe non-alcoholic. So for example, beers are, that are non-alcoholic less than 0.5%. Uh, if it was to be alcohol free, I'd have to, I'd have to get it down to 0%. Um, but again, for example, uh, a ripened banana has around 0.4% ABV. So somebody says that they don't ever drink alcohol. It's not really that, it's not really true. There's all kinds of products that you get, you interface with alcohol. Um, the reasoning for the 0.5% is that it's part of my technique and part of how I, I make the product is impossible to, to get rid of all of it. Uh, so we, we go down to 0.5%, which is basically, again, considered non-alcoholic. Uh, the, the other part of the zero part, which is the sugar, uh, the calories and, and the carbs, for example, that is an extremely important thing for uh, a lot of different consumers. I get a lot of feedback of um, people coming back and saying, you know, this has really helped me control, you know, certain elements of my diet, not only sort of the alcohol consumption, but then other parts of their diet, uh, be it sugar, be it carbs, whatever it is. Um, and, and, and absolutely, yeah, it's, it's an all age group thing. Um, I think anybody that enjoys a cocktail, uh, there's a, there's a, you know, there's a couple of different schools of thought in terms of, of what people are doing with this product. Um, are they, you know, do, do people drink non-alcoholics to completely stop drinking? Uh, there is a certain portion of that, but I think the larger portion of people actually use non-alcoholic products to control or to cut down the amount they drink. Um, and I think that for me is, is, is really what, where the main target for Sober Zero Gin is, is where you can enjoy your regular cocktail if you want. Um, but then quickly go to or, or the next drink or the next two drinks, uh, you can go to this product and you won't compromise and taste your experience and you'll still feel like you're having a cocktail. Well, and what an openness for, for so many people, whether they want to have an alcoholic drink or they prefer not to, or again, just staying in the alignment of drinking responsibly, especially if you're driving. So just, just so wonderful. I'm so glad that I found this, this product. I'm going to switch over to my Fab Four now. And my first question is, could you share with us something that we don't know about Bob? Uh, something you don't know about Bob. I play and sing. I sing and play guitar. So there might be future Sobri concerts forthcoming. Uh, yeah, unfortunately, since I started this project, uh, I haven't gotten much playing done. So uh, uh, it, it may be a, it may be some time. 
Entrepreneurship's very busy. So we're happy to hear that production's busy. So there you go. We might see you singing and uh, playing guitar one of these days. That could be the next thing, yeah. Second question, could you share with us who you feel is someone who really demonstrates quality leadership and why you aspire to this person? Yeah, someone who displays quality leadership and why I aspire to this person. Who's a leader that you see on the news or? Yeah, I'm trying not to make it political. <laughs> uh, I'm, try, I'm trying to stay out of that, of that arena. Um, it could even be someone that is living or someone that you admired who could potentially be passed away. Who's someone that's left an impression on you and maybe you have fostered some of those skills into your leadership. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's, that's a, I think that's, that's a really good uh, way to get into this. My, so part of the, part of the branding of this, the sunrise came from an experience I had with my dad. My dad passed away while I was building this, this brand, while I was creating this project. He was a big supporter in it. And he was somebody that, that definitely impacted me in terms of my uh, leadership style and the ability to, um, you know, to manage projects, to get things done, to manage people. And he was somebody that um, I, you know, the last time I saw him, um, I was driving down through the countryside and around outside of Stratford, 20 minutes outside of Stratford, went through this little hamlet where, where basically I grew up. I went to, to school there, the church, I went to church there, everything. And as I was passing it, there was a brilliant sunrise and the sunrise was was painting itself on this old building that I, you know, I'd driven by for the last 40 years. And I was, I was so amazed. I got home and I was getting my camera out and I was saying, Oh dad, look at that sunrise. He goes, he goes, yeah, it's pretty great. He goes, but you know what? He goes, it's almost always great out here. And that was that, that became the sunrise became part of that, you know, of that whole of the, of the brand. But my dad's ability to kind of, to look at situations and to, uh, you know, basically if there was ever an issue, anytime you were doing something, the minute he got there, it doesn't matter what it was, you knew that it would get better. And I think that to me was a leadership thing that I, that I so aspired to is that it is somebody that brought that calming effect, that experience, that touch of knowledge, that we'll get it done, that we're not going to, you know, the, the, in the face of adversity. Um, I always, to me, that's still the comfortable feel. When I sometimes I, I watch a show and I say, oh, it reminds me of my dad because it's just the character and whatever else. But that is that leadership quality of, of calm under fire and knowing that whatever the situation is, now it's going to get better. Well, that's beautiful. And what a nice memory of your dad. And, and I'm sure the legacy of, of the company is, is going to keep his, his memory alive for you. And, and thank you for sharing such a beautiful sentiment. My third question is, if you had to sit down with the 15-year-old version of Bob, what advice would you give him? Oh, my God. Yeah, don't, don't, 
I think that's everybody's nightmare, I think, is would, would have to be that, is to go back and, and do something like that. But I, I think I, one of the things is that you, you know, and this is part of an entrepreneur thing, you just, you, you, you drive yourself crazy by not listening to experience and trying to experience it all yourself and making your own mistakes and everything else. And then I think at the end of the day that the time that that took to, to learn all those lessons, uh, if I had to go back and say, you know what, shut up sometimes and, and sit down and listen to people that, that know a lot better than you do and you'll be farther ahead in a lot shorter time. And, and, and you'll cause a lot less grief on yourself at, in the process. Um, and that might be, you know, I think that might be an impossible thing. I, I weigh that out is can you ever, can you ever recreate experience without actually experiencing it? But there's, I think there's a lot of things that there's a lot of mistakes you don't need to make that you could have prevented by listening a lot better earlier on. It's one of the most difficult skills to hone and evolve as a leader. And it's one of the best qualities that you can possess as a heart-centered leader is really attentively listening to another person. And some people do it well, other people are in progress, and some people haven't figured it out. But if we were all the same, it'd be a boring world. But it's really enjoyable when you sit with someone and feel that you're being listened to and heard. And like I said, it's a hard skill, but it's it's one that I personally commit to honing and, and evolving every day. And with technology, I think it's hard. So I always enjoy a conversation when cell phones can be foot can be put away and you can have that face-to-face conversation or even, you know, the method that you did sending out a handwritten card. We just don't have that level of communication that we had that you and I might've seen growing up. And it's one of my goals to slowly bring that back. And I see that you're doing the same thing. I think it's an anchoring. And I think when we can anchor to some of those communication strategies that we saw and observed as children and young adults, even though we are a digital time, there's nothing like getting a phone call and talking to somebody or having a face-to-face conversation or going to your mailbox and seeing that someone took time to handwrite a letter and walk it to the mailbox and put a stamp on it and mail it. It's just, it's, it's old habits that are slowly coming back and it just brings so much meaning into people's lives. Totally agree. Now, my last question is, some people have mantras and some people have words and some people have visions. What, what do you have or what do you aspire for 2021 for yourself and for Sobri? Yeah, that was a, that's, that's a great, another great question. I think last year, if you would ask me the, the, the question that the same one, I probably would have had fairly similar, but a little bit different, but it would all went out, you know, it would have went all out into the, uh, the garbage essentially in the middle of March. Uh, so this year we're hoping, I'm hoping that, 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 you know, we have a better understanding of the, of the, basically of the dynamics and of the marketplace and what's going to happen, uh, which last year was a complete unknown. Um, I am still, this brand is very young. 
Uh, and what it requires is, uh, you know, again, sort of fundamental entrepreneurship or growing a business 101, which is, um, yeah, we're building it on, on we're building it digitally. I, I'm feeling fairly comfortable with that. Uh, the goal is to is to expand the digital footprint more into the U.S., uh, perhaps into Europe later on in the year. Um, from a product standpoint, I'm expanding the product line. A tequila will be coming out uh, hopefully in the summertime or probably just a bit before the summertime. Uh, and and the, the, the main challenge uh, for the brand, for the business, for me, is, is to get retail distribution. So for those that don't come from the industry, retail distribution is essentially getting it into stores. Uh, so, yes, I designed this to be a digital first type of product where e-commerce is a, is a great channel uh, and a great sales channel for it. Uh, ultimately, you do want to get into stores where people are buying most of their groceries or buying their their uh, their beverage products. And that part of it has been very difficult. Uh, it's difficult for most startup brands, for more small brands, but it's increased, increasingly difficult this year because of COVID and because of the restrictions around it of getting in to see people, of getting in the, the product in front of people uh, and then convincing them to list it. So that would be in a nutshell, what I'm trying to do this year, expand distribution, expand the product line and, and expand the digital footprint um, to encompass uh, more than just Canada. Well, I'm hoping uh, our little podcast gives you that global exposure. And like I said, it's it's packaged really lovely. I think the name is is so perfect. And I like that you you just hung on to the vision and came back and, and built it and just let the whole process unfold. And if that's not an entrepreneurial story of, of bringing an idea to the market, I, I don't know what is. I, uh, I want to thank you for sending me such a great product. I'm having fun sharing it with family and friends and getting it out to the masses. I kept your handwritten note because it warmed my heart. And I just want to wish you as much success as possible to get your name out there and get this product into the hands of, of everybody to try it. Cause it's, it's so fragrant and so delicious and it doesn't matter what you mix it with. It, it takes on its own little mocktail version of, of whatever flavors that you like, but just sharing your time and expertise with us today. I'm very grateful, Bob. Oh, my pleasure, Deb. It's this, uh, this, again, it's a passion project. Uh, this is something that, um, there's nothing better than, you know, when you work on a product, you bring something to market or you, you bring something that has didn't exist before. And then every once in a while, not only this conversation, but every once in a while, I get I get an email from somebody and they'll say, this product helped me, helped somebody I know, helped my father, helped my mother, helped somebody. And that in, in some way, whether it was with, with whatever their situation was. And, and for me, that piece of it aside from everything else is so rewarding. Uh, and I can't like, I just can't hardly sort of express how I feel when I get those things totally unsolicited, but it helps somebody. And that, that to me is, uh, makes my day worth it. And that's why you're on the show. Cause you're a heart centered leader. Those, those are the kind of messages that are just going to keep, coming and doubling and just growing exponentially because you're you're solving a problem that's evident in society and and covid has increased those numbers and to give somebody an option 
And it's, it's the social part of it too, the social influence part of it. When you're at a party, it doesn't matter what the environment is. If you're the one not drinking, it can make people feel uneasy. So now to have a glass with ice and it looks like a cocktail, nobody has to know it's a mocktail. It's all about that social inclusion while you're out socializing. So I think we're going to see great things. So I wish you nothing but success, Bob. And it's been such a delight to talk to you today. Thank you very much, Deb. I love to end my podcast with a quote. And I wanted to find a quote about drinking that was humorous that I could, I could leave you with a smile. And I found one from Benjamin Franklin. And he said, in wine, there is wisdom. In beer, there is freedom. And in water, there is bacteria. So thanks for joining me today. This is Deb Crow, and this is the Imperfect Heart-Centered Leadership Podcast. If you like this episode, we welcome you to share it, and we'd love you to like us and give us a rating and review so we can highlight more heart-centered leaders like Bob around the globe. Thanks again, and until next time, this is Deb Crow.